You're tuned in to another Comics Pals book club. Thank you so much for joining us this week, or not this week, this time. We don't do these every week. We are talking <laughs> about Jonathan Hickman's classic Secret Wars comic. Now, obviously, there are a few different books called Secret Wars. You got the original, uh, you got Secret Wars 2, you got Secret War, and then you have 2015's you know epic Secret Wars title from Jonathan Ideas and Hassan Rubik. wild. <laughs> What's wild? <laughs> that there are four Secret Wars titles. Yeah, man. It's, it's the Marvel uh, Crisis series, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, wars are generally Marvel's thing, right? Like Civil War, yeah. Secret War, some other war. Um, and this book in particular, I remember really reigniting my fire as a fan Everything that Jonathan did with the Avengers uh, from when his run started in like 2013 to its eventual end was all absolutely incredible. And we've actually read a majority of it for this podcast. So uh, this is kind of like a sequel to what we did for Infinity. If you guys want to check that out, we put out an Infinity Book Club uh, several months ago now at this point, And we read most of everything leading up to Infinity between Avengers and New Avengers. So we were well prepped for that. And this time around, we read most of what happens after Infinity and leading up to Secret Wars between both titles as well. So we're going to be talking about a lot of meaty stuff from this entire run. But the focus will be on the event itself, Secret Wars. So... I want to kick things off by talking about Time Runs Out, because Time Runs Out is what leads into Secret Wars, and there is a moment where the books skip ahead uh, several months. I I forget exactly how many months. I think it's like uh, three months or something like that. Maybe it's even eight months. Yeah, it's eight eight. months. Yeah. It It skips ahead eight months. And then each book is counting down to time running out. And now that's sorry, that's eight months from infinity. Yes. Well, a, a, a little, a little after infinity. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, I want to talk about time runs out. I think there are some really really cool moments here, and I think that it's well. Actually, I'm going to ask you guys. Do you think that you could have jumped into Secret Wars without reading Time Runs Out at all? Yes, but it wouldn't have been as good. Uh, okay. Yes. Marco? Cool. Mm. Phil? I think you could have, and I think it would have been fine for the most part. Interesting. Okay. I didn't think that it would be fine. I re- obviously read this a long time ago when it was coming out, and I think, Kale, you did too, right? I This, uh, this was actually right where I got busy with school. Um, so I, I read up to Infinity and I think the first issue of Time Runs Out um, and then I always meant to pick up Secret Wars and Trade and, and never got around to it. So oh. this is actually the first time I've ever read it. Cool. Alright. Um, yeah, and so my thought was, man, there's so much here, so much missing context. I think we need to read the whole dang thing. And, mm. uh, you know... Boy, did you make us. <laughs> Uh, Something like 49 issues later, here we are, ready to dive into this. So when we did the Infinity Book Club, the thing that I think attracted you guys or interested you guys most was the incursions and what was happening in New Avengers with the Illuminati. So that's 
the biggest focal point of Time Runs Out is dealing with the repercussions of the Illuminati keeping something so big such a massive secret. And obviously Captain America having his mind wiped by the Illuminati, sort of realizing what was done to him, what they are currently doing, uh, how they're dealing with these incursions, which for those of you who are listening to this and haven't read, um, essentially the incursions are two universes colliding at the central point of both universes, which in every single universe is Earth, and one of the only ways to stop both universes from dying is to eliminate one of the Earths. So both universes will carry on, but one of the Earths has to go. The Illuminati take it upon themselves to destroy these other Earths over and over and over again to prevent their Earth from being destroyed. So, how did you guys feel about the way that the other heroes who are not the Illuminati reacted to learning what was being done? Because that's where time runs out kind of comes into play where our heroes are on the run from the main Avengers because of what they did. They feel they need to pay the price. So I did want to ask a clarifying question yeah. there because while we were reading this, I, I did feel like there was one piece of information that I was kind of missing that does kind of color my answer to this. Yeah. Why, like, why do the Illuminati specifically feel like what like Tony did was so unforgivable compared to what they've done. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that we didn't read is something called Axis. And in Axis, which was by Rick Remender, several heroes and villains got swapped their per- their their alignment swapped basically. So Tony in in Time Runs Out is actually bad. And he had, I forget exactly what he had done in Axis to prove that, but he has a completely different, like he's a super arrogant, egotistical maniac at this point in the story. So he's normal. <laughs> <laughs> he beat me to it. <laughs> so he's Tony Stark. He he's superior Iron Man. That was that was actually the the Tony Stark title that was out at the time, and um. Jonathan Hickman's version of Tony Stark in Time Runs Out is actually, for whatever reason, much tamer than the versions of Tony that were being presented outside of this book. And it was a point of contention for me and other fans because it didn't align totally. But you are but you only really know that he's bad if you're reading stuff outside of this. Yeah, so that was, that was my biggest struggle, I think, like in terms of how I felt about where everybody was landing on things because I understood Cap and the his contingency of heroes feeling like what the Illuminati had done was unacceptable. Specifically Cap considering they like made it personal with him. But when it came to that issue with Tony, like it felt dissonant to me in the story. Cause it felt as though he was written in a way where like he seemed pretty normal, you know, and like like maybe a little bit unhinged, but like I felt more like it just seemed like he was cracking under the pressure and under the like guilt of what they had done, you know, on some level, um, which made him seem more extreme in the same way that like all of the other characters that are in the Illuminati are kind of pushed to that limit. So like that line in the sand was kind of weird for me, Um, particularly how it comes to a head between him and Cap. Like I just was like, I don't get this. Like I don't, uh, this heat doesn't, makes sense to me because I don't see why what he's done 
is any more or less, you know, forgivable than like what Reed had done. Right. And it definitely seems like at some point, like Cap's like, there's no end for this for you where, where it's okay and you walk away. But there's a point where it's kind of like they're working together and it seems like everything's like mostly fine, you know? So that was a little weird for me. Did anyone else have a different take than Pete here? I, I really enjoyed Civil War one and a half. <laughs> uh, frankly, I thought it, in all seriousness for, for in that, in that joke, I, I thought this Civil War was better than than the other two. I thought the tension was really tight. Um, the stakes were personal and big, um, and it 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 made sense. Yeah, the Iron Man thing sort of. I I did feel a little lost, but it didn't bother me. I sorry, I I did recognize the superior Iron Man armor, so I didn't I didn't have that much trouble. I recognize the armor and I remember that there was the storyline that he was like evil, but like yeah. without that context, it was kind of, I, I felt something missing, I guess. I guess for me, it was just like, oh, right. I guess he's evil now. So he's <laughs> sure. in a cage. Cool. Great. And that's, that's actually how I feel I walk into, into this series and, and to the majority of these, of these books is like, oh, this is just where people are. Cause I, I can never sort of trust where or how I know the hmm. character. Right, it's always in the context of whatever's going on in the larger space. So, um, going into this with characters, um, I try not to rely on that. I just rely on like what's going on, what's the story, what's the action. That worked, but I feel like getting a, I would have gotten a bigger kick out of it had I known even more context for each of these characters, where they were at, and what they even mean to each other in this in these contexts. Because I just have to take everything at face value. And sometimes that diminishes a lot of what the book's trying to send out to me. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Nara. Honestly, I read I read Hickman's uh, Tony Stark, and I was like, yeah, it's Tony Stark. That's just what he is. He's awful. He but see, like, I can't even so say that, right? Sense. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, to I, I mean, you, could, you can to answer your original question, Sean. So, Steve's Shield Avengers. Uh, Steve like was really cranky what? as an old man throughout this. I like that. He sucks. He's fucking cantankerous, man. He's such a. Yeah. Oh, it's cool, but he just has a fucking stick in his craw the yeah. entire yeah. goddamn book. <laughs> um, and you can kind of map out where things are going to go. When you read the beginning of, of Hickman's Avengers run, they do this to Cap. You're like, oh, this is going to manifest in a really. Um, in a really aggressive uh page wasting kind of way um <laughs> uh i was here for for uh sunspot's uh new avengers stuff however dealing with the beyonders and all that uh because all the stuff with hyperion and thor was rad as shit yeah yeah i want to talk about that a little later uh but i want to i want to speak to pete's uh overall point about not being entirely clear about why Cap was feeling so aggressive towards Tony. I think one of the other important pieces of information, you guys brought it up, but it doesn't make sense if you only read this, is Cap is old now. And old Cap doesn't have time for anything. Like, he's I'm not... Out. Yeah, he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't play as nice with others and things like that. He's very tired of people's crap. 
Um, There's no time for, for forgiveness. Not at all. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most Kale character I've ever read in a comic book. <laughs> Um, and, and, and also, I always felt, even reading it back then, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about this, is I didn't think that, uh, what the Illuminati had done was really bad at all. I think, and, and this is gonna be a larger point later on, but I don't really know why you wouldn't try at all like costs the, to that, save that your utilitarian world. sort of dilemma mm. and all that? Like, yeah. I... I very much enjoyed that, and uh, I'm I'm with you, Sean. Right. Like, uh, what do you call it? Namor was a standout character for me because he was like, "Bro, we're gonna fuck shit up. I don't give a shit. We can discuss the morality of this later, but like right now, self preservation is key. Like, who gives a shit?" Yeah, I fucking love Namor, and he is so well used in this series. I I I definitely. I think his ideology is the one that makes the most sense to me. Because to answer your question, Sean, nah. I do think that what they're doing is morally wrong. But I don't think that. No, I mean, like, I think, I think, I, I think you can objectively say that wiping out millions of lives across universes, right? Like that's bad. But I get it in the the thought of self preservation, especially through the lens of who is like our kind of POV character of the Illuminati, who's Reed Richards. He has a family. You know, like, he's trying to save his kids, like, and that doesn't make their actions less, like, it doesn't make them less, like, morally reprehensible, but I also think that, like, Cap's, like, rigid code of honor, in this sense, leads to a world where everyone dies. Like, everyone dies. So, like, is that, is that really, is that morally better? Like, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I think that's what makes it compelling. It's great that you guys can so calmly justify multi, uh, you know, genocide at yep. a multiversal rate. That's great. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I did, but okay. Sure you did. You said it's okay to kill billions of people <laughs> on billions of world if it means saving your family. No, I said I could understand the motivation of doing so. I didn't say that it was okay. I said it was still morally reprehensible. So why don't you climb <laughs> down you after high horse the red and get button, the I would do Phil. so gladly. I uh, never questioned that, Marco. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman, I think, does a great job of presenting this dilemma through these characters, and he never lets the the characters get away with these acts. So whether or not we here agree that the acts are right or wrong, these characters wrestle uh, with it, and their souls are the cause. Sorry, I, I just think like. Um, because I, I, I disagree at that point just because I don't know how these characters would react, right? So, like, that history and that, like, the, the buildup for who these people are, to me, didn't necessarily always make sense. Because I'm like, why why wouldn't you take these extreme extreme measures and these extreme steps in order to ensure that whatever you're doing is essentially looking out for, for yourself and the preservation of your entire... Like, like, as much as you can argue that you're putting, you know quadrillions of lives at stake for a couple billion right at the end of the day we humans do that and these people are regardless of whether or not they have superpowers are at the end of the day to some extent excluding aliens right actually human and and to me those some of that was just a mismatch of weighing the options realistically versus building up the drama for the series all right
Yeah, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think I, th- I think I think that's where the conflict comes in is the fact that these people, while human, are superheroes, and the idea with superheroes should be that they're going to figure this out and it's going to be fine. And, you know, they're not going to have to kill billions on billions on billions of people. Did, did everyone here Is that get a chance to read they do, the series of issues? They don't figure where, it out. And uh, like, the it sucks. Illuminati face off with Jonathan Eggman's version of the Justice League. Did anyone Wait, get to one? read those? Just curious. Those are the extra, extra ones? I forgot to do that. Okay. Oh, nah. Yeah. Those were yeah. Those the extra extra. Reading. Those issues were just prior to oh, time runs out. I so, um, I'll just summarize them super fast because I do believe yeah. that they speak somewhat to the morality play and why this is such a big deal for these characters. So, um, Jonathan Hickman introduces these Justice League analog characters, and they are the paragons of all good on their world. They face off with the black priests who come to, to you know, destroy their earth, and they win. And uh, not only do they win, but they win and win and win. They continue to do this over and over again to the point of exhaustion. And eventually, their earth is pitted off against 616. And they have no intention of destroying the other earth. They want to figure it out. But what they realize is that the Illuminati came here with a bomb. And that bomb is meant to blow their Earth up. And once they come to this realization that ultimately if they can't talk this out or solve the problem another way, the Illuminati are prepared to kill them and every other person on their Earth to save 616, they have a massive battle. Uh, And it resolves with Doctor Strange, uh, who has sold his soul. Uh, that happened also prior to Time Runs Out, but I think there was... Yeah. We saw that happen, too, though. Yeah, so he sells his soul. He goes Cthulhu on them, and he kills them all. And it's a horrific event that showcases a, a, a man who, you know, years prior in Civil War, mm-hmm. sat mm-hmm. that out because he didn't want to take part in this thing where there really wasn't necessarily a right or wrong, here he is now, uh, a monster. You know, it created a monster, these incursions did. It, it destroyed him, a good man. Um, and then when it comes time to use this bomb to blow up their Earth, Black Panther doesn't want to do it. And they all agree to not. And Namor yeah. is the one who says, nah, I'm doing this. My man. We'll deal with the repercussions later. This is what it is. And. That is actually what causes a schism between them all because they don't want to do it anymore. It has worn their souls out to continue to do this. To see Doctor Strange that way, um, for for Black Panther to have had his father turn away from him for not having killed Namor, all of these bad things that have happened to them that they know they've done. These are heroes who mostly save lives, who have now got a death toll on their souls of trillions of lives, right? Um, that's a big deal. That's a massive deal. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I see where you're coming from, Marco, but I just, I feel like even without necessarily having the intimate knowledge of these characters, I think if you think of any hero, the last thing they want to do is kill. 
And then when you talk about billions and, and billions not- and billions of lives, I don't know, man. Right, like like these these are people who won't even kill their greatest enemies, right? Like their their goal is to protect innocent lives. And especially when you think about that, a lot of these heroes are cosmic, right? And they've gone above and beyond and saved people from worlds that weren't humans and all those things, right? Like all of a sudden it's just like, well, you know, if it's us or them, like now they're they're forced to be killers, you know, in their eyes. And I think to Phil's point, they weren't forced. And to Cap's point, they weren't forced. They made that choice. And whether that's the right or wrong choice is like sure. up to, you know, us as the reader, really. So, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on Time Runs Out just because the real meat of this whole deal is Secret Wars, but there were some really interesting moments going forward that I think are worth talking about, and Phil brought one of them up up before, so I I want you to speak on it because obviously it was a moment that you really enjoyed. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, so there's the whole thing about Thor, whether or not he can redeem himself, and there's this moment with him and Hyperion. Um, it's not. I I started reading this at the beginning a little bit. Uh, I've missed some of the chunks in the middle, so I'm not clear how Hyperion got involved in all this. But I'm grateful that he did, because uh, his his uh, conflict, their conflict with like the Ivory Kings, and and uh, the whole. Th- conflict with the beyonders is kind of what sets up you know everything that happens in secret wars their sacrifice um it's it's maybe like the most epic moment leading into secret wars i think yeah absolutely um i really enjoyed their quest and this is a callback of course to Infinity War, where these were the guys right. who were, you know, fighting against the entire alien horde and all that cool stuff. So their journey continues, their friendship continues. And for me, it really painted a picture of how hopeless this this whole deal is, right? That these two cosmic level powers, Hyperion being the sort of the Superman equivalent, kind of, and then Thor, we all know what he is, they can't even overcome this you know this is too big for even them yeah and and like you their faces are are bearded the hair is long they've these are two tested warriors who've had conflict after conflict and, and you're right this is something that is kind of snowballed since infinity and so to see their fall their sacrifice it's like a satisfying death which is what they wanted yeah exactly and at some point uh we learned that dr strange is one of the i think he he was one of the black priests right yeah uh he was actually like the head black priest the leader yeah and wasn't that the thing that he traded the rest of his soul for to become the head of the black priest so that he could have that force yeah yeah um and i really loved that too because it was a way to who cares about black priests right like they're not known characters so unless someone under the mask is someone known to us it doesn't mean anything and so putting dr strange there adds a level of intrigue to it that it might not otherwise have and it gave them a man on the inside which of course ended up being extremely relevant later on um but 
as we move forward, there's this mystery of who Rabumalal is. And... Could you say that one more time? <laughs> I said, as we move forward, there's the mystery of who Raboom Alal is. <laughs> I love oh. that name. Oh, right, Raboom right. Alal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this is... It sounds like a fucking, like a, like a over-the-counter, like, allergy Raboom drug Alal. or something. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those moments where Jonathan Hickman's brilliance, I think, comes into play. Because he's able to create... Uh, a character who's unseen, unknown, whatever, and make you dying to know who the hell this is. And he creates this entire mythology and this entire, um, you know, uh, base of, of whatever around him. And you're like, man, who is this? Black Swan keeps praising his name. And it's got to be a really big deal. And then we learn that Rabumalal is actually it, it was Dr. For Doom. me... Uh, what did you guys think of that I revelation? just thought it was like unknown character. So I immediately Googled it. I'm like, oh, who is this person? Who do I have to know? What is this person's backstory? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, and then it kept putting no. the thing. I was confused because it, it just kept saying Dr. Doom. I was like, no, I don't want this character. I want whatever, whatever. And, and I couldn't find it. And I, I could not oh, find this great. character, right? <laughs> and, and so I did have to end up really going through it. But by then, because I had like an idea, like an inkling of it, the surprise was kind of just like, oh, okay. But initially, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Why is it leading me to Doctor Doom? That's how Google works, man. That's hilarious. I, I, I had kind of a similar thing because I had never read Secret Wars, but, um, you know, like, just being, like, casually aware of what's going on in comics, like, I knew about what happened with, you know, like, Doom becoming God and everything. So it was like the reveal was very much a similar kind of thing for me where I was just like, oh, that makes sense. Like, that's how that works. Right. That's how we get from point A to B here. And like knowing that this was a lead in going into what Secret Wars was and knowing what I knew about it. It wasn't like a huge reveal for me. But I think if I had read it as a reader at the time, I would have been surprised by it. You know? Yeah. Um, did anyone else want to add to that? Their their reaction? Dude, so, I didn't know anything about this. Right. Yeah, so what did you think of that? I uh, I was so disconnected from Marvel at the time, especially Marvel events, and I was like, oh man, they're doing a giant multiversal Marvel <laughs> uh, like event thing? Meh. DC's done it. <laughs> um, okay, but what did you think about the reveal? No, I know, I know. I'm explaining why I went in blind. Um, it was great. <laughs> it, and it felt like it harkened back to the whole the whole twist with the original Secret Wars. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I really liked that callback. Because yeah. that was that's kind of what happened with, with, with the original Secret Wars is Doctor Doom angles it in a way that he becomes the you know all powerful god figure. It's much more fleeting in the original, but uh that reveal that this, that was his angle here the whole time is it was terrific. You never read the original Secret Wars? Oh well <laughs> shit. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. There there Fair are enough. a lot of callbacks to the original Secret Wars peppered throughout uh not only time runs out, but in the Secret Wars 2015 event, there's there's just a ton of stuff like that. The inclusion of the Beyonders, Molecule Man, all that stuff is right. is related to the prior event. And um, for me, at first, I was like, "Ah, come on, man, Doctor Doom! What the hell? This doesn't make any sense." But I appreciated the way that Jonathan Hickman was able to spanning, you know, 
an untold amount of years, you know, we're talking in the millions, take Doctor Doom and and bring him all the way back to the start of everything and explain how this could be possible. And I thought Terrific. that was really cool, high level stuff. Similar to what we're seeing yeah. now with uh, him and the X. Yeah, totally. Like I think I think um as a like as a reveal like whether that moment works for you or not, I think it's like he definitely deserves praise for again just like how well he plots things. You know, like it's it's so thought out and like you get to that reveal and you're like, "Oh, like that makes sense." And then leading into like the story that falls out of it, you know? Like I I I feel like He's, he puts in the work to set things up so that the big moments that he wants to build to are actually satisfying. And I think that's the problem with a lot of, like, major event comics is, like, that there's not always that same amount of care put into, like, making everything, like, making sure every domino is in place so that the entire row is impressive, you know? And, like, that's really his strength. Yeah, because your your opinion may vary. Like for me, it wasn't uh, similar to Sean. I I didn't particularly care for it. It was very oh yeah, of course it's Doctor Doom or oh, whatever. But the way it was plotted out and the way Hickman makes it make sense. Yeah, and and the introduction of like the Molecule Man earlier in time runs out. Uh, you know, shit's going to go down because he's a uh, He's a major. He's a major kind of player that isn't used very often, uh, and the way he's used in, in both Beyonder schemes of of the singularity events and what Doctor Doom ultimately does, uh, it's good as hell. And it also harkens back to the original Secret Wars, uh, not literally, but uh, at least the players are the same here. Right. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. and of course, I think maybe one of the greatest Doctor Doom moments in history is when he's facing down the Beyonders, and you know the coolest, um, the coolest font, right? The coolest lettering, uh, with with no no word balloons around it or anything, and the, the the Beyonders are just you know sort of like who dares stand before us, and he's just like I Doom, and that's it. That's all he needs to I say. Love it. Why was he able to beat yep. them? <laughs> like if if like if, if if the Beyonders could destroy the like all those big ass cosmic guys, like all this these other people, like why like what what was different about Doom? That that, that part confused me. They Which I, I don't I didn't understand Molecule either. Really like, the answer. like why? Um Molecule Man, and maybe this is because of the original Secret Wars and having some understanding of him through that, but he might be the most powerful character ever. Uh, he can do anything, and it's it's explained that they that they planted Molecule Men in all these different universes as bombs, basically, um, and so the the whole plan was let's go back in time and start a an explosion that's going to be a chain reaction that's going to end the multiverse eventually and that was what was causing this whole thing to begin with and so once it once it resolved dr doom made sure that he 
and Molecule Man and Doctor Strange were the the only things left, essentially, and then all the uh, remaining incursion point pieces were put together by Doctor Doom using Molecule Man's power to create what would eventually would be Battle World. Um, go ahead. Sorry, just, I want to clarify too. Not just Mole. He didn't right. do this with one Molecule Man either. He did it with right. hundreds. Right. He he yeah. he basically used their plan he used, against like, a them. universe-ending weapon against yep. the you know several of them against them, and the that's the only way that, that yeah. they were able to defeat them. And then and then Strange had his powers from the Black whatever, and he. The, together, their powers reshaped battle world and, and the universe. Yeah, they were able to steal. They were able to steal the power so of the Beyond. Molecule Man is the most powerful thing in in the Marvel universe. Um, not necessarily literally up but, there because there's like abstract concepts in Marvel. But like, I think he's one of those characters that Stanley and Jack Kirby created that they didn't fully realize what the ramifications of him was because this is a guy who can alter reality and alter molecules at whim. So he can just, well, he can reshape the fabric of reality as we know it. So before we finally start talking about the event itself, the last thing I want to talk about is the, the very last event that takes place before Secret Wars, which is the, 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 what I think is a really cool thing, uh, how the Ultimate Universe and the 616 Universe go to war, uh, and then, of course, uh, the battle between Cap and Tony. So I, I love the way that uh, they were careful to have the Ultimate Universe ref- reflected in the lettering. Mm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, that was a great touch. Absolutely. And um, the maker. There he is. So, yeah, what did you guys think about that that whole, like, final clash? Like, it felt really epic to me. Actually, that's how Secret Wars starts mm-hmm. is with this this big battle. That was one thing where, uh, to me, I found sort of this stuff before the actual event sort of just kind of, not necessarily tedium, but, like, it, to, to me, if, if I f- could feel like you could tell this event story without necessarily needing to know the context of, like, oh multiple universes and everything like at the end of it the event turned to be a crux of of the ultimate universe and then this first universe them fighting and then um and then you being able to just like pair those two off the to me the the need for introducing even all the other universes prior seemed like extra to me uh if if you would like like I will say that the way that Hickman was able to handle all of those things, all the ramifications, be able to bring in and like bring in that context to then inform this was amazing. That was great. It was masterful storytelling, but it wasn't necessary to have told the story if at, if the event was going to be those two and then leading into what would become Battle World. I see what you're saying. So you hate money. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I think it's also like. You have to think about what the broader intent of this no, story no, I, is. I, absolutely, right? but I'm, I'm just saying if it if it's for like the event sake, like or, or for the story's sake, uh, I I understand like why it was done and and how it all ties together and and those reasons and how it fits in. But like from just the story perspective, like on a on a 
just moving it up like, like a level, you could kind of have gotten the same thing, just introducing those two, right? The, but what do you mean by those two? Like the, the, the Ultimate Universe and then uh, I'm assuming 616. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I think it's... I think it's just a matter of that, like, if you are someone like, you know, I would say, like, probably specifically Sean, right, who has, like, knowledge of the the broader, you know, like, ramifications of the Marvel Universe and, and all of its players, like, you kind of need to address that, those issues, you know, on some level, especially considering that was what they wanted to do, right, was, like, tighten everything and bring it all together. Well, and it just makes everything else so much more satisfying, you know that longer run and especially like we don't get runs like this in comics often and it like when we do it's bendis <laughs> you know so Jeez. so when hickman does it it's like man like similar to hoxpox it's like you better pay attention to fucking every syllable these characters put out and god damn you if you don't recognize the font from the ultimate universe you're not going to understand a fucking thing. Fuck you. Yeah, I, I, I like for me as somebody who was like really intimately attached to the ultimate line, like those were little there were a lot of little nods there that like meant something to me, you know, that like didn't mean anything to you. In the same way that I think that acknowledging the multitude of different Marvel universes that exist is like each one of them means something to someone and like you need to honor that. You know, and like it makes sense that it would come down to six one six and ultimate, but that doesn't mean that all those other universes don't matter. And 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 also, right, it'd be like um, watching Infinity War and uh, and Endgame and not having seen any other movies. Like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so cool. But you know, like I want to see all of them. Um, I I don't know, man. I I think that. I think that it just it just comes down to what's important to you. It's important to me to see these characters weighing these these you know huge implications of what it means when you know your world is ending and you have the power to save it, but it's going to cost you. Uh, and it's that cost that is what makes these stories work for me, um, uh, at least anyway. So we get to see the ultimate nice. result of that cost play out between. Sorry? I said nice, ultimate. You <laughs> said ultimate, you know? Oh, I never intend these things. We get to see the 616 cost of... <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. I Hey, I get it. I'm on board. <laughs> High quality the, joke. The ultimate cost is played out between Cap and Tony and their fight. And for me, as someone who was reading this whole deal from issue one... Sorry, it, was that the ultimate cost? Because that, that was a very minimal <laughs> result. Well... What I mean by that is, here are these the two struggle. guys who, huh? It said it personifies the struggle, Kale. And, and, yes, and that exactly. is like swatting a fly? <laughs> Their struggle was ultimately very insignificant in the face of, you know, multiversal destruction. But these are people at the end of the day. And their war between each other was not the most important thing going on, clearly, but spiritually, I think it was. Um, because, as we're going to see later, Cap wasn't necessarily all the way wrong. Uh, and Tony wasn't necessarily all the way right. Because they ended up losing anyways. So was it really worth killing billions and billions and billions of people to get to the same place you were going <laughs> to get? Yep. That's how I felt about <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that's interesting. But... 
Uh, anyway, let's dive into Secret Wars. We come into this series with basically everything changed uh, past issue one. Issue one does show us, you know, um, more of this fight between two universes that, as we pointed out, is essentially inconsequential. One thing I have to point out because it's super cool is Cyclops being the Phoenix. Hell I yes. love that. Cool costume, too. Yeah, that, this- that look was fucking sweet. <laughs> This is my favorite Cyclops. The one oh, really? The one who's been radicalized by all the bad shit that's going down all the time. Mm. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to make Sentinels of my own. Network for us. How ironic. Well, he's also a little bit crazy. Oh, I love because it. Because of the, uh, the the Phoenix Force. But yeah. I mean, um, also Hickman, love- <laughs> Hickman didn't do him any favors in uh, Time Runs Out when uh, Sunspot comes to him. <laughs> <laughs> he was He was pretty far off the deep end. <laughs> all, all by himself. He he had already encountered the Phoenix Force. Yeah, this was uh, post AVX. Um, yeah, he's he's been crazy. He's been he's been weird. Um, he's my but dude. I also love Ultimate Iron Man and his role as like basically the only hero yeah. from from the <laughs> yeah, Ultimate right? side. So I was going to ask about that. Like, I I remember that this this point in time was when Miles was with. I guess the I guess they were the all new Ultimates, and it was like Kitty Pride and Bombshell and Cloak and Dagger. That's like right after where I dropped off, so I can I, I, all I remember. <laughs> yeah, I kind of remember that. Kind of don't. I don't know necessarily where they all were. I'm gonna assume that Jonathan Hickman was like, "Listen, who really cares about them? I'm gonna focus on <laughs> Miles and Iron Man." And call it a day, and we can just assume they all died yeah, off fair screen. Enough. Oh, I think <laughs> the real shit too is that like a lot of the major players like of that caliber are already dead. They've been dead, yeah. Well, yeah, I we see we see the ultimate Thor uh in Secret Wars. Well Yeah. Um go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say we have the most important person from sixteen ten, and that's that big old incel, Reed Richards, the maker. What is sixteen exactly. ten? <laughs> ultimate. Uh ultimate. <laughs> But but let let's let's dive into the meat of the event. Let's go let's talk about Secret Wars 2 and beyond. It presents us with an entirely different remade universe, uh, remade obviously by Doctor Doom, by the Molecule Man. And I loved the convention of having the Thors, yeah. in particular um, this young Thor, be our window into this world. What did you guys think about that? I thought it was, was a really excellent. effective way to like drip feed us the universe. Because, like, obviously he is new to the job. He is getting, like, his first look at the broader world at large and how it works. So it's, like, a totally natural way to, like, get us up to speed without having to just, like, info dump stuff. Uh, Well, and he's a character that we, you know, while we might not recognize in content, in person, we can connect with him because we have an idea of who he is or might be. What about you, Marco? Yeah, no, uh, it was, that was an excellent way to get introduced to the world uh, through the eyes of somebody else who's also sort of experiencing a lot of it for the first for the first time. To what Pete said, it's it's it, it's sort of the way to do it. It's it's really good storytelling. Um, and as you uh, and as we were shown the world and like the map and like all this stuff, I went, "Damn, this is cool!" Ah, shit, it's comics. Oh, I f- I flipped right past the map. I went, "No, thank you." Yo, I examined that shit. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I googled some stuff. I was like, oh, wow. And I was like, oh, this is not going to stay no, like this. That's, that's, a, that's a bunch of tie-ins I don't have the time for. 
Oh, oh, I, that was actually I was gonna ask that. Did were the other comics around that like exploring that world? Because I'm I was really interested in that. Thank you for bringing that up because that's something I wanted to talk about real briefly. Is just that this this uh, nine issue series does not tell the full story of Battle World at all. Uh, not even close. In fact, some of my favorite moments from Secret Wars are in these tie-ins. Um, and a lot of them are incredible. One of my favorites was Civil War uh, by Charles Soule and Lanil Yu. Um, and basically, there, there are so many of them that are like X-Men 92 or, like I said, Civil War or, you know, references to prior events and major moments. Renew Your Vows for Spider-Man, huh. which is like... Um, him and Mary Jane end up together post One More Day and they have a daughter. And it's probably the best story to come out of Secret Wars other than Secret Wars. I think it's still going. Too. It might be. Um, and so many of them are very, 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 very good. And I recommend to anyone listening to this, if you loved the Secret Wars story and you are interested in what else there is, check those out. This is like the better version of Countdown to Final Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they're they're worth your time, uh, Marco, for sure. Cool. Some of them, no. Yeah. But we also get our first introduction to Bar Sinister, which should be very familiar to anyone who is currently involved in what uh, Jonathan Hickman is doing with the X Men. Um, I, I that had so much more meaning for me now than it did back then. Yeah. I actually didn't like it much back then. I, I remember you said that when they introduced him again like that in Hoxpox, and then, like, you kind of came around on him after that, right? Like, Yep. Uh, yep. It, he, it works for me so much. Like, I'm with you where, like, I like OG Sinister. Like, he's cool and everything, but, like, I'm really into sassy Sinister. <laughs> so, in, in Hoxpox, I said that he sounds like a McElroy character. He's got this real highfalutin voice. <laughs> in this one, this one... This sinister had like a a low Tim Curry sound, <laughs> a real Vincent Price sort of voice. <laughs> oh man! And he's so present too in this second issue. Uh, it really is a- about him in a lot of ways and his betrayal. We get to see how Doctor Doom, who is God here, holds court. Um, and one of the most interesting things about this particular issue, which is issue two, um, and then, of course, going forward, is that Doctor Doom is a god who is present. You know, most of the time when you think of god or gods, they're not, they don't inter- interact with the people. They're not there. You know, they're they're wherever they are. God emperor, they call him. God He's- king. Several god adjectives. He's the type of person who's like, don't touch me, don't sully me with your hands, but at the same time is like, I need to be among the people to be receive their adulation. Marco, what did it mean to you, if anything at all, that Doctor Doom is God, but he's also present and around and can be spoken to and all that kind of stuff? How did that what did that mean to you? I love that Doctor Doom. It was absolutely incredible for me. I uh, from what I know of Doom, um, I think the only stuff I've ever read was like some of the FF stuff, um, and even and I haven't even like gone too deep into that. But this that character was so fascinating to me. 
uh, like that he had to toe the line between, you know, a God, but then at the same time, be, be, be someone who cares about his people, even though he's, he's very distant from them. Uh, how he lays down the law, like the world that was built was awesome. I wanted to see more. Uh, I wish there was more and I, I wish there were other representations of that for that character because it was so much fun. You know, what does it, what does it say that he decided not to like have his own children with Sue, but instead just made uh, Franklin and, and Val <laughs> his kids? Uh, well, there's, there, that is sort of a loose callback because he has a deep, deep love for Valeria. Um, and she actually, yeah, she does go and stay with him for quite some time. And so for me, it made a lot of sense that he would just choose to have her be his daughter rather than create a new one or have kids because she was already perfect in his eyes. Uh, so one thing I did want to just point out, um, and Sean, I don't know if there's some context here that that maybe you can add, um, but you, you brought up the kind of... Um, oddity i guess of of doom as this god emperor or god king and um it it very much reminded me of like pharaohs you know Uh, because that was like all pharaohs were holy and you know like i I think the thing is that when they died they then became gods or something like that but they were definitely looked at as like holy rulers and on the big map one of the countries is uh egyptia yeah Yes. Is that anything like? Is there some other context there, or is that just like a little Easter egg thing? I think it's for uh, Moon Knight. That makes sense. I think I think that that was supposed to be Moon Knight, and uh, there was another country that's referenced with Egyptia that is uh, supposed to be the Wakanda equivalent. Yeah, there's right. There's, okay, there's one character in the court scene that resembles Khonshu, like a, a lady, yes. a lady Khonshu, which is significant to the Moon Knight mythos yeah you guys pretty much hit it uh there's nothing related exactly to what you were saying pete but it's just like a it's like a it it would make more sense if you read the tie-ins like all of these places that they reference are are places that you can read about that makes sense yeah so i actually think that the uh the fact that doom is a god who is a ruler like a god emperor like you guys mentioned is extremely significant and speaks to the overall point of the story. And I'm dying to hear what you guys think about this. Um, So, in Time Runs Out, and in New Avengers in particular, we watch these characters essentially play God. They're They're deciding who lives and who dies basically on their own. These Illuminati members are making those decisions, and that is something that Captain America is not willing to do. He's just not willing to make that kind of choice. He doesn't have any kind of God complex at all. He sees himself as a man, and if his time has run out, it's run out. These other heroes who have done so many, you know, universal things and and saved, you know, uh, worlds upon worlds and done things that Captain America can never dream of doing don't see it that way. They're not ready to give up and they feel like they can be judge jury and unfortunately executioner in these incursion situations the ultimate result of that mindset is dr doom in 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 secret wars And, and this is purely my read and as you can see he can't handle that 
the fact that he is a present god shows you how limited his thinking is. And we see that in, in the conversation that he has with Thanos, where Thanos is like, look, man, you're trash. You're not, you, you, you're playing God. When I had the Infinity Gauntlet, I was a god. And you saw what I did. And of course, Doom has the power to kill him. But if you look at even the way that he does it, the way that he kills Phoenix and the way that he kills uh, Thanos, he uses his hands. He does a, he, he, he does a very human action. Obviously, we can't put our, our hands through other people's bodies. Huh. We're not that strong, but he is. But instead of using some godly cosmic ability, he just kills them, snapping their necks or ripping their their their, their uh, spines out. Uh, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, how how do you read, just based on that point, how do you read when he kills Strange? I, I guess, for me, the way that he kills Strange... Um, they have a very, very deep and personal relationship that, I mean, they're the only two people who know up until, you know, Secret War starts what has even gone on. And I think that I don't think he wanted to do that to Not Dr. Strange. All. And I think that he killed him, even though they had a personal relationship, he killed him in an impersonal way. Hmm. Well, yeah. Mo- Molecule Man says it when he comes in uh, to his realm, and he says, "You have like the stench of guilt upon you, or whatever." Yes, and, he, and then he, you know, lies about it too to everyone. There's also just there's a lot of facial acting where it's like him standing around like at his funeral and all that stuff, and he's clearly upset, you know. Um, and I think to me, like that's always what has made Doctor Doom such a compelling character is that he's so powerful, he's so intelligent, he's this master tactician and all these things, but, like, his greatest, like, failure or the thing that's always standing in his own way is usually himself in the same way. It's very similar to, like, what I think what makes Lex Luthor compelling, you know, where it's like, oh, if Reed Richards was just out of the way, like, I'd be the hero, you know, and, like, he, I don't think that, um, I, I think that he sees himself as a good guy and he wants to be a good guy even though he's not. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the way that this this whole thing starts, uh, if you go back, you know, m- millennia, Doctor Doom triggers essentially a bomb that cascades and causes all of this to happen, which the end result is that he gets to be God, which I actually don't think that was his ultimate intention to become God. Um, in fact, I, I think it's kind of clear that it's not. But that's just what happens. Whereas Reed Richards has to respond without even knowing it to what Dr. Doom has done and try to save lives. Dr. Doom wasn't concerned with the lives he was taking, but Reed was. It played on his soul, and for Doom it didn't. Um, And the last point I want to bring up on this subject before I want to hear what Marco has to say is one of my favorite moments in the entire run is when he takes off his mask for Susan. And you see this face, disgusting, horrified. Uh, and Assad did such a tremendous job because it's really nasty. Mm. Um, but what it presents is not only a man, but a man who is deeply, deeply scarred physically and emotionally. And that's not what you would expect from a god. You know, even even like, again, the Thanos reference, Thanos doesn't have those kind of problems. You know, he, he's, he's not... His ego doesn't come from a place of weakness. It's it's a strength for him. But for Dr. Doom, it's not. And that's why he's ill-fit for this role. Um, and I love that 
this whole story is so big and, and, and intense and multiversal, but at the end of the day, there's a very human character at the center of it. Marco, what do you make of all this? Yeah, it, it describes him as, as fallible, right? Like he's, I, I like that moment because it also made him, to your point, relatable because he's, he is a human, right? And, and as a human, he was, he was showing himself to, to Sue, who, um, just from context, I know like he, he loves, um, and, and we can see that he's sort of manipulated her mind to, to believe otherwise in terms of, you know, uh, read and, and, um, uh, and, and to essentially get her to to love him too, I think it was a really tender moment. Um, and and again, one of the reasons why I I really love that that character, right? Because he he's a god. He's just acting like it. He he's trying to maintain all that peace and, and maintain everything that's going on in the world. But he's doing it. Uh, he, he's a fraud. He, he's afraid. He's he's not. He's not all there, right? And you can see it in the way that he's he's being shown. He's he's shown as having a, a destroyed face, dude. Like that's some fucked yeah. up shit. But 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 at the same time, he's also internally messed up. Uh, it's a great outward reflection of where he's at as a character, um, yes. and how that impacts you know the the rest of of the story and how he portrays himself too. I I think what makes it most compelling too is that like I think Hickman does a good job of making this doom his doom where he's at now like feel true to um the character that i know him to be who's obsessed with power and and order but also like they show like i feel like he shows that through this world that he's created this role he's taken on and the family that he's created for himself that there is a version of him that could be softer that could be more merciful that could be kinder and that like some of his intentions are genuinely good right like when he when he did what he did he did it to save the universe like and that wasn't uh, uh, a selfish act right and when dr strange says i can't take on this responsibility i won't do it right like he does shoulder that burden and like regardless of the things about him that are that are negative that are true that sean said that he is a weak man he is a man who's driven by pride and you know that makes him like fallible it makes him very fallible but you you can look and see that like he he does have good in him Uh, it's just so obscured by that you know and i think like that is like that's what makes it all the more tragic when he falls, you know. Is that yeah, like absolutely? If this reality had existed another, however many decades or whatever, like what could have, what what kind of god could he have grown into? Right? Like, mm. it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to pause the discourse here because I want to talk about the art. And I want Marco to start that conversation about the art that we are presented here for all nine issues by Asad Rabik, who is one of my absolute favorite artists of all time. I think he is tremendous. Um, uh, But yeah, uh, so Marco, what did you make of the artwork in this book? It's funny, right before this, I actually picked up a Submariner book, uh, a Nero book, and it had Ribich on art. Uh, So I got to see... um, back in like early 2000 and something, I think it was like 2006, uh, how he sort of portrayed this character um, and the sort of art styles that he would use and how 
in this book, he's so much more refined. Like his mm. his lines are incredibly tight. The texture that he applies on on people's faces, like the coloring, the um, there's like this graininess that's similar to um, oh my god, oh my god, a uh, small wood, I think. Um, Greg, yes, yes, Greg Smallwood. Um, that that it just elevates the art, man. Like he's he's excellent, excellent, and, and it's all painted. Uh, I think, right? Is that his? Is that his, so. is that his deal? Yeah, I could be wrong. Um, and that to me was like out of the awesome. Just the last page, right? I think the last page exemplifies exactly how talented this guy is. Um, uh, in issue nine, right, the very very end, right, where we see Doom come out into uh, uh onto this balcony of his palace, right? There's just this expression that transforms uh as the camera pans away and it's just super expressive uh it captures it captures a mood um and everything about it the shadows the uh the way that his cape crumples along it's just awesome uh this book had some of the best art i've probably seen in comics like just in terms of the way he captures form and the way he captures um coloring the action it's Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I mean, I had zero complaints on that. And he's also able to get really wacky with stuff, knowing that this is yeah. a more out there book, right? He's really able to just play with stuff. Um, and I, that's just him as an artist. Uh, and having read that Namor book as well, um, you can you can see that this is just him. This is this is his, his sort of space. Uh, and Man, I would love to see more of of his work, um, and I frankly do not know where else to get it. Thor, yes, oh Thor my god, with, uh, wow. Jason Aaron, a lot, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, his yes, his Thor is tremendous. Uh, there's a villain called God Butcher, mm. and um, he draws him mm-hmm. so incredibly well. And I think you would get a lot out of that from a visual standpoint. Michael. I think you would really like. Uh jason aaron's thor run at least those first few uh volumes yeah, yeah the god butcher and uh what is it there's two more that are majorly yeah. connected right god butcher yeah. god killer and god bomb or something yes yes yep is that the that's just something he's been working on for the past couple of years right yeah this Aaron? was the beginning of it okay yeah like maybe eight years ago or less than that but uh it started way back when, and it started with Assad. So, mm, yeah, yeah, dude, excellent, worth excellent, time. excellent. So, on that note, Marco actually has to exit the conversation because he has some stuff to take care of. But uh, thank you for you know your contributions to this conversation, Marco, and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, and uh, right before I, I head out, I do just want to say, like, in terms of recommending this book uh, or recommending the event. Um, I would have to do it to somebody who like is involved in the Marvel sphere. Like for me, for for, for me, Hickman was able to tell the story very, very well. I like, like no doubt, right? He he's an awesome storyteller. He's a great writer. He he really knows how to um, set up the beats, set up the world, and and be able to bring everything together. But I, I think that and. And I feel like uh, for a lot of these, I come with that lack of perspective that can help elevate 
the storytelling even more than what I already got out of it. Like, like for me, this was a, like an eight, right? But I feel like had maybe I come in with a level of knowledge akin to Sean, like it'd be a 10, right? Where it'd be, it'd be a story that uh, I get a kick out of, but at the same time would be able to understand those larger ramifications. And, and to that point, uh, even though I didn't understand necessarily what um, the end might be, I was able to at least appreciate the fact that, okay, I, I understand where he's trying to go with this. And, oh, I get it. He's trying to bring all these worlds in together into one one thing. And that takes talent. Um, one to, for, for me, who I, I hadn't, like, it wasn't expressed uh, just in the book. It wasn't something that they necessarily said was going to happen as, as a repercussion. But you could tell through the different machinations of what he was building and leading up to and to me that was like phenomenal i I can't knock him for that so marco just before you hop let me just ask um do you feel that the story reeks of machination or (laughs) oh oh that's a reference to the comic yeah they say that several times (laughs) that was that was deep and not worth it (laughs) jeez Okay, Margo, yeah, um, thank you. I'm glad you got something out of it, and uh, we receive your eight for sure. Awesome. Take care, guys. Later. Take care, man. So any other comments from you guys about the art while we're on it? Uh, I actually wasn't crazy about it. I um, thought you might not. Expound. I, I, I generally agree with all of the praise that Marco heaped on it. And I, I, I do think it's certainly worth it. I, I it may just come down to personal taste, but some of it was just, there were just little things that were Marco, Marco used the word wacky. And I think that really, that does sum up my feelings with some of the, the things like, uh, uh, when, when black Panther finds the infinity gauntlet, he has this great big wide-eyed stupid expression <laughs> but in the rest of the book his face doesn't move and it just just little little things like that they were just they were just a little bit too much things that i couldn't quite make sense of at, at some points and 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 again little things that just sort of took me out of the moment sure um so yeah and for me like Oh, this <laughs> when Thanos is fighting all the Thors. I don't know. You guys won't be able to see that, but <laughs> yeah. Oh my yep. God! Yeah, Thanos' uh, face. Yeah. He looks like he just like, <laughs> like he's like absolutely disgusted. You know, like oh, not even that. It's just like a whoop. Yeah, very still, very like oh, yeah. It um, like yeah. The I th- I think the 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 painting style or, or, or whatever Assad Rebix thing is here didn't quite work for me. Well I, I think I wanna just I wanna just add a little bit of what I believe is correct context and that thinking back to when this event was rolling out, I I feel like I remember there were some problems uh, in terms of delays with the art and this event actually I don't know if you guys even caught it but it got expanded from uh, eight issues to nine. It was supposed to be an, uh, an eight-issue series, and actually, if you look I, at the covers, I recall that. I recall yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. that. 
they they say six of eight all the way up until issue seven, where they all of a sudden say uh, of nine. So uh, there it was elongated, and that that increased his workload. And I think that sometimes in some spaces the art may have had to suffer as a result. Just throwing that out there. That said, that said, this uh, in the fight between Reed and Doom, this checkerboard. Oh my page. god! Like the technique there was incredible. For all my life, I will never forget that. Yeah, that was incredible. And I and I also love the the Black Panther versus Doom. The way he 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 portrayed that battle was so cool. Very compelling. Uh, Pete, you were gonna jump in. Yeah, uh, I I think. I, I definitely am picking up on what Kale's putting down. I think that there are some moments where um, this style works against the book. Uh, but overall, I would say it worked for me. I, I think the, the, the one page that – or the one moment, I guess, that sticks out to me the most is um, the initial fight between uh, Franklin, who is controlling Galactus, and Ben. There is a point where, uh, where Terax is is like you know trying to swear allegiance to, uh, to I guess Ben. I wasn't totally sure what was happening there. He was trying to swear allegiance to Galactus because he's a former Herald. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. Thank you. Um, when, when like the Galactus like boot or maybe fist crushes him, I was like so confused by what was happening in that moment. Um, and, and I think it's in those beats where that style doesn't work for me. Like where there are times where I feel like for the really, really intimate stuff, uh, like people's faces or that like device that's used multiple times when someone's talking in the middle of a war zone and it's just their face, like outside a panel or something like that. Like there's great moments like that. Um, you know, and I think particularly, like I said, a lot of the the facial acting, you know, um, particularly with Doom, I think, because he's kind of like the central character. But like when like Ben realizes that Franklin is Sue's kid and there's like that moment of realization in his eyes, like those moments are really, really fucking sold. And I think that the style um, the, the, the more painted style, like, really sells a lot of that stuff. You know, like, the blues are a little bit cooler. You can feel the texture on people's faces, you know, and that, that goes a long way, I think, for the more intimate moments. It's some of the bigger stuff where maybe that time crunch was a factor, and it gets a little bit messy, but, um, not always, because, like, the moment when, like, Groot merges with the world tree and like blows up the castle like there's so many awesome. big beats like that that are fucking sick and like that's such a cool thing because it literally doesn't have like really any ramifications beyond right there it's just like oh that's a really cool page that was a cool moment you know um and for that stuff i think it really works i i think it's easy to nitpick some of the smaller stuff but I think as a piece, it works really well because the first thing I thought of when I was reading Secret Wars proper was it felt reminiscent to Kingdom Come, which also has that very painted-esque quality because it's Alex Ross. And it's juxtaposed with these grandiose ideas of gods and men as and, and, and with 
superheroes. And it, and when you have this kind of painted style, it, it makes them seem more like regular. Like it makes them seem real. Uh, their proportions, the way they move, and because I think that kind of more uh, realistic uh, painted style, some of the more intense moments, like when the maker betrays Reed Richards, and there's that body horror where he transforms him, you know, into an ape backwards yeah. in the evolutionary mm-hmm. line. Uh, it, it has greater impact because you you feel you see Reed's rib cage contorting and changing and, and stuff. Uh, well, to that to that point though, like I actually missed that the first time. Like I had to go back and look and figure out what was going on. Oh, really? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, I'm not going to criticize you. Uh. <laughs> Well, idiot. <laughs> I will get better glasses, you blind idiot. Man, I need some. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. The what else is there to say? I think it's a masterclass of stuff. And maybe you know, maybe it's true that there were uh, uh, timing issues with 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 the release schedule. But I think as a whole, it, it really shines. I agree. Uh, it holds up really well for me from when I first read it. Uh, which of course it does because you know it a wasn't that long ago and b it's one of the greatest artists of all time in my opinion um and I, yeah there are definitely moments that are a little bit weird and we've we've been sharing them among ourselves um just for laughs but you know like i think if you look at most comics at some point or another there's like a weird face here or there but overall i think it's hard to do this kind of thing and i think Assad really uh, excelled at it. So um, there were so many, so many amazing moments, art-wise, and you guys highlighted a lot of them. So I won't even get into it. But um, yeah, when I think of event comic artwork, there's two artists that I think of. He's one of them, um, and the other is uh, Steve McNeven. So uh, that that this is my ideal look for an event, and uh, yeah, couldn't be, couldn't have been happier. So, I want to jump back into the story here as we get closer to wrapping up. The heroes and the villains who used their respective rafts to jump outside of reality, basically, um, and avoid the multiversal end of, of everything, arrive on Battleworld and are released. And this basically creates a, a war almost overnight. Because Battleworld was built on these secrets, right? Battleworld was built on lies. And Doom has surrounded himself with really smart people who figure out that there's something afoot even before we start to see Thanos and Reed and everyone, you know, emerge. Um, I personally loved the way that it wasn't, you know, them coming out guns blazing uh, that ended up being the fall of Doom because that wouldn't have made any sense. It was the entire world that he had built around him falls apart, and it falls apart because he was dishonest, and it falls apart because he lied to his people. Uh, it falls apart because he surrounded himself with smart people, but he also surrounded himself with evil people. Sure did. You know, like, Sin- like Sinister and Apocalypse and whoever else. Maestro. The Maker. The Maestro, yeah, not the And... It's very doomed to do that, right? And if he had just never 
allowed himself to be seen or heard, but was worshipped all the same. The way he did it before the multiverse collapse, how the Black Swans worshipped Rabu Malal, this never would have happened. Uh, and you look at how petty he is. Look at what he did to Ben. Look at what he did to Johnny. You know, he made Johnny yeah. the sun. Um, he made Ben the wall, right? Very Game of Thrones, by the way. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, those were the reasons that he lost. You know, it didn't have anything to do with, you know, someone stronger than him coming about. It was really just his own foolishness. And fear, right? Like, um, what's the thing that Reed says to him? is like that he, he grasps it so close to him because he's afraid of losing it that... You know, it slips through his fingers. Yeah, it, it, his his feats in the series of you know murdering the phoenix, destroying the phoenix, killing Thanos, um, it, killing Doctor Strange—they uh, all kind of pale uh, because it, it feels like every time that happens, the other shoe's about to drop. That's a great point too. They they're they're obviously feats of strength, but they they don't feel as they don't feel as all-powerful as they probably should yeah. because there's something underlying that. There's a weakness in his strength. Um, and again, you know, we keep we keep referencing it, but I, I think it, it can't really be understated that he is the reason why he fails. And he's always the reason yep. why he fails. Yeah, I think, um, and I mean, like, obviously, you know, anybody familiar with Hickman's work knows that he's great at doing the whole fantastic four dynamic but i i think that like him getting his comeuppance through that battle with reed where like reed like you know he's like like you know uh like admit that you think that you would have done a better job than me and he's like fine yes i do and i think we both know i would have and and doom admits that and like that's his ultimate defeat right is like to the point that phil made before right uh and that reed makes in the book what's the first thing he does when he becomes god replaces Reed Richards, you know? Yep. He doesn't he doesn't fade into the background and actually become God because he doesn't actually want to be God. He wants to be Reed. He wants to be a hero. He wants to be loved. He wants to be a husband and a father and a friend and all those things that he can't be because, like, he is ultimately ashamed of himself, you know? And, and like, that is the true like source of his weakness is that he's so obsessed with this posturing with the pride with presenting strength that he doesn't allow himself to like have any of the things that the things that he wants he has power he has a country you know that he rules like he has everything he could want um but he doesn't allow himself to like enjoy any of it or grow or change because he's so obsessed with these things that are really unattainable because of that obsession. It's like a dog chasing a car, you know? <laughs> I, I think it's so brilliant. And rarely, especially with event books, right? Rarely do we get a, a villain who you can talk about like this. You know, rarely do you get a villain who you can, who you can see their point of view so clearly and in some shape or form agree with it and and in some ways also see them as heroes 
but then also be able to see like oh man you know this guy is just flawed like he's not even monstrous he's just flawed and it just did this is not sustainable uh to something pete said earlier what would have happened if this had lasted for 30 years i don't think it ever could have no <laughs> I, I think I, I i think that that's an impossibility especially because he had to make himself present yeah i, I think ultimately he's a tragic villain you know like uh and I think that's like that's like what makes that dynamic work so well. You know, it's it's that like he's the twisted mirror image of Reed. Right. Who's the hero. And, and ultimately, this story was the culmination. Uh, something Jonathan Hickman said in interviews when it was when it was uh, over with was this story was very much meant to be the last Fantastic Four story. Like, what if doom and and reed and sue and all of them are never seen again what's the final word on the doom and and richard's rivalry and this is that and i think that it's done so so excellently um the way that this whole thing resolves with issue nine where we get this battle between reed and doom where molecule man strips uh doom of his powers and lets them you know go at it um I really, really love that. Well, and I, I haven't, I haven't read the the new Fantastic Four stuff, but I do know that after this, they were, you know, Reed, Sue, and and the Future Foundation, and uh, all the kids or whatever, they were off the table for a while, and yep. that that makes it that makes it even more powerful that you know they at least stuck to their guns for a little bit, huh. you know. Um, I, I also I really like the way that Hickman chooses to resolve their conflict because I think it speaks to the differences again, like of those two characters, right? Like, what does Reed do when he wins? Like, he fixes Victor's face and sets off to do things the right way. You know. You asked beginning, Sean, if you thought that Secret Wars could be read as a standalone, and I do think that because I think you're right. I think this does play. Very much is the final Fantastic Four story, which we seem to have a, a kind of a trend of doing on our, our, our book clubs because we have we read the last ever Silver Surfer story, we read the last ever Superman story, and this is kind of you're right the last ever Fantastic Four story. However, to do Spider Man Reign. <laughs> where I feel like my context is lacking is that I didn't read uh, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run. And I feel like and I feel like this is good. This is the ultimate culmination of everything he did there. Yes. And that's a great point and one that I feel was understated even by Marvel at the time because of what what the real the, the lead in is time runs out. But. You really have to have read Fantastic Four by Hickman to get this fully. It it, 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 it it means so much more if you get everything that he was trying to say with these characters. And I wish that they had made that point more for fans who, who, who ultimately would have needed that. Yeah, more, more in promoting it. Um, it. I think this book really... Um, I think this book puts to bed any notion... That's a fantastic for boring characters or whatever, because this example, this to me exemplifies why they're as good as any character. Do people feel that way? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's stupid. Fantastic Four books are notorious for not selling, and that yeah, was that makes sense. That's true. Part of why, allegedly, why Marvel put them on the back burner. I mean, we know the real reason why, right? 
But um, when th- when this happened, that's something that they were saying themselves. It's just funny, I guess, because I, I guess I have a skewed perspective of it because the like the only serious Fantastic Four run I've ever read was Hickman's, and it gave me such a impression of those books as being good, you know, because like that's such a good run, and like I remember going into that like as a not necessarily an uh a new reader like i was already a pretty seasoned reader but like it was when i was getting into like what was modern for the first time you know in like a meaningful way and was like really drawn in by it and felt like it was one of the best things being published at the time you know um and it felt like that was the opinion of most of my peers too so i guess like in my bubble like it's hard to think of it that way but i i know what you're saying is true about the sales thing so i guess that really speaks volumes, right? But I, I feel like there's that perception of Superman, too. But it's Superman the same sells. Thing. It's the same thing. Both people Superman's think, popular, though. Kind of, yeah. So I think Superman is popular in a mass media kind of way, but sales don't generally reflect the popularity. But let's, let's yeah, focus on yeah. the book. Yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry. So when, when the fight between Reed and Doom resolves, we see Black Panther... Uh, in Wakanda, and he took one of the stones with him before the end of everything. Now, what did you guys make of what this scene is showing us? I was confused by it. Mm. I assumed that it that there was either context that was missing or that it set up something that would make sense if I read it. Well, yeah, the next step for Black Panther is, I, I and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but I believe this is the point where Black Panther and I think Doctor Strange as well just go off into space. So it's not, and that's what's so weird. The next thing that happens is actually Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, run, which is what we read, and the start really? of that, of course, yeah, is Nation Under Our Feet. Go check that's out our book. Very next, yeah, yeah, uh, that's the very next thing. So my perception of what happened is uh, Black Panther took the Reality Stone and changed things to back where they were before uh, Avengers Number One. Which is what I just read like a week ago. It's right before all the incursion starts. Huh. Okay. Am I off? <laughs> that's, that's how I perceive it. Because they're talking about the same stuff they talked about in that issue. Yeah. I, I, when I first read this, this was the one thing that I didn't understand. So yeah, that, I think the it's either the time stone or the reality stone is what I thought. I think it's the reality stone. And it, he, he brings it back to before the incursion, but there is no incursion. And then, obviously, they re- restore the multiverse to an extent using multiple men um, and Franklin Richards and... Uh, uh, multiple molecule yeah, men. Yep, I caught it. <laughs> <laughs> and and Reed, who's taken sure. the power of the Beyonders. Yeah, so that, that was my perception of what happened. That makes sense. Sorry, I guess I'm not following uh, uh, back before the 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 uh, so Hick, sorry, hang on. Before Hickman's Hickman's number one yes. Avengers, the big world thing. Yeah, or maybe it was New Avengers. I think it was Avengers, though. It, it'd be both. I know, but I'm talking about a specific issue, and I think it's Avengers number one specifically. Um, and it takes place. The very beginning is is as on is in Wakanda when uh, the Black Swan comes. 
uh, for the first time, and she prof- you know she talks about prophecy of you know all this incursion that's taking place. And before Black Panther's eyes, a world is destroyed. Um, however, when I go back uh, at the end of Secret Wars, here they're back in Wakanda. And they're talking about the same stuff with, like, the coming of rights of these other uh, Wakandans. But there is no incursion at that point. So, I think that 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 very well may be the case. There is also what um, Kale mentioned, which is that there is a comic where the the, uh, Wakandans go into space. And I have avoided all that. So, I don't know if, if that's correct, necessarily, but... I think it's somewhere between there. It it happened after this at some point. I'm I'm not sure if it yes. Is. It, it, it was it was a it was a little while after. Was it okay? Yeah. Um. But the other uh thing that happens here at the end is because Miles gave Molecule Man a hamburger, the only person who gave him any kind of food, we see that he does him a favor, and that favor is that he places him in Earth six one six. He allows him to, to carry on into the next life. And what's so cool about that is we can see that the, the, the lettering on him change from page to page. He, he becomes a 616 character. Was that the favor? I, I assumed it was he and, well, his family. Uh, because there's emphasis. That too. Uh, okay. Yeah, it brings him uh, his family. Yeah. Because Miles is the only character... Uh, other than well, the maker does too, but the and well, actually, and the maestro, uh, those are the only characters who get to carry over from this the into ma- the yeah. maker does. Oh, yeah. he's still yes. alive, right? Yep, still bopping oh, around six one six. Well, we just solved Hawkbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, that's who Professor X was the whole time. <laughs> Imagine. And then, and then, yeah, like you guys referenced, we see the Fantastic Four, well, uh, Reed, Sue, and the children uh, ma- remaking the multiverse. And for me, that was a bittersweet ending because I love the Fantastic Four and I did not want them taken off the board. But if it had to happen, I think this was the best way to do it because ultimately, what are the Fantastic Four? You know, who is Reed Richards? He's a creator. He's a builder. Uh, he's a fixer. A maker. There was a problem. An explorer. He is a maker. Yeah, and 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 he got to live out the rest of his days. If you never read another Marvel comic, uh, creating and exploring and building and shaping with his family, which really there isn't anything else that would make sense for him as an end. So it was really pleasing, ultimately. It it, it it's like it's like how at the end of All Star Superman, he's just in the sun. Uh, Hickman, I feel like intimately understands Reed better than anyone, and what what better way to send him off than the way he started, just uncharting the unknown. And in this case, he's creating the unknown. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I sure hope Reed and Sue worked things out after all that. I feel like that would that would be <laughs> like some merit. That would be some marriage trauma. <laughs> they sure are touchy feely for. Uh, a couple who's just gone through a trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I only wish that their return to the Marvel Universe was as good as their exit. Yikes. So, final closing thoughts on Secret Wars, and of course, would you recommend it? We'll start with Pete. 
Uh, I really enjoyed this book and quite a bit more than I thought I would. Um, I, I think that my mileage varied a little bit on the kind of preamble stuff. Uh, but I think like the event itself is is really really tight and um, it it spoke to a lot of runs that are particularly like important to me because I'm a fan of Hickman's like early 2000s stuff. Um, so like that kind of like getting some closure on the end of the Ultimate Universe like and his Fantastic Four run like th- those things are are are. Like, those really landed with me because I have that context, you know? Um, and, and again, like, you know, we said the art is really, really well executed. And I think that there are a lot of just, like, well-crafted and earned moments. And, like, that's what events should be about. And far too often they're not. And I think this is just another example of proving, like, why Hickman is kind of the best in the business at this for my money, at least with Marvel. Um, I don't think that there are any events, or at least not many events that I've read that are even in the same conversation as what he's able to do when he's, like, given the reins and able to fire on all cylinders. Um, As far as would I recommend it, I would say I definitely am pretty aligned with Marco there, where I would recommend it to somebody who has a higher-than-average history with Marvel and is willing to do a little bit of homework. Because I think without that context, a lot of it doesn't land as well. And I think that a lot of the stuff that really works for me works because I'm informed, you know, because I have read everything he did almost with the Ultimate Universe. I've read his Fantastic Four run. We read the preamble. Like, aside from the stuff I complained about with Tony and the tie-ins, like, I pretty much had as much context as I could have. So I feel like without all of that, a lot of this is not going to land for you the same way and i think the average person going into this like blind would be very lost but i don't think that makes it any less good it just makes it a harder recommendation you know but like if you are someone like us who's at least at least somewhat initiated there's a lot for you here i think awesome uh kale uh yeah i actually i think my general feelings are almost the opposite of pete's i actually enjoyed the the time runs out stuff more than i enjoyed the secret war stuff so i think i think that the what hickman does especially in time runs out is he he builds tension really really well Uh, for me the problem with secret wars is it just kind of it it's the end of the journey and it it's almost a shame that it's an event that said it's a Hickman event, so it's good. It's cohesive. And even for something with a bajillion tie-ins that you, you know, you can read to get the whole story, you don't have to. And I and that's, in this day and age, something that's very, very important. And uh, for events, it's a, a huge uh, grading curve for me. If I have to read other stuff for your event, I'm out. Uh but I think Secret Wars is a very cohesive narrative. Um, I think you to get the stuff that happened in the past, I think you just have to pay attention. And there's nothing wrong with that. As for recommending it, I I I think I would hesitate, but if if someone came to me and said, I just want a superhero story, um, 
I don't want to do any homework. I don't care, and I want something just a little off kilter. I would recommend this. It's modern. It's got some got some meat to it, and uh, the art. You know, despite despite what I said earlier, it it is good, um, and you know, it is it is very passable for an event. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I would. Awesome, Phil. I um, well, to quote Sue, it's something. It's really something. That's what she says at the end when she's staring into the birth of all these new universes. I, I really feel like I've slept on uh, Hickman uh, in over the last ten years, and it isn't until twenty nineteen that I fully realized just how good uh, and capable of a writer he is. He he really encompasses everything. Something that I've always liked or wanted to like, but often when an execution have fallen short with is I, I want to like books that are grandiose and uh, tackle big weighty themes with a lot of different characters. And I, I think most of the, most events generally just I, I don't appreciate, I don't like. This is the second event we've run the show, both by Hickman, uh, Infinity, and... Um, uh, now Secret Wars that I've thought was just excellent. Um, I, I've i gone back and started Avengers and New Avengers from the beginning a few weeks ago, and uh, it's really weird to kind of get to the end of the show before I really even got started with the beginning. And I've read it all sorts of out of order at this point because we've read Infinity. But this is a, it's a, it's a, it's a marvel of storytelling. Boo. <laughs> uh, if you're gonna like do more of that backtracking into his catalog definitely read the fantastic four stuff i intend to um absolutely um as for what i recommend it uh i would i would recommend it to someone that is interested in kind of doing like a deep dive like i am um or a big marvel fan uh like a, a hardcore marvel guy uh, otherwise, yeah, I don't. I can't imagine your casual reader really appreciating or 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 enjoying it for that matter. So, I mean, this is this was my pick. I thoroughly love everything that Jonathan Hickman did with the uh, with the X Men. Well, I love that too, uh, but specifically with the Avengers, I think he did a tremendous job. And of all the people who have written the Avengers since I started reading comics, well over almost two decades ago at this point, he definitely... God, we're fucking old. I know. He definitely is the one who made the Avengers job feel important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. And this was the only time where it felt for me like, man, this is bigger than just, all right, here's the villain... You got six issues to tell a story with them and move on to the next one. There are things about this run, like I said before, I'll never forget. Whether it's art-wise or story-wise or beat-wise, there were so many things that uh, really are incredible and some of the best moments in Avengers history. So thank you for that, Jonathan Hickman. And uh, would I recommend it? Yeah, I would recommend it to a person who wants to read a story from Marvel, that's an event. Uh, and just throw them to the wolves, to be honest, because there's so much good here that look, when you pick up if you're gonna pick up an event and that's that's what you feel like doing, 
you're never going to have all the context. You know, events are generally not built that way. And so just as far as grading it as an event, it's one of the best ever. And so I really wouldn't recommend many above this, honestly. Maybe Civil War, just because it's a little bit more... You you need a little bit less preamble to get everything. But even though Civil War has... a it's my favorite because of history. This is this is better. And so I highly recommend it. And I see no reason why someone shouldn't pick this up if they want Marvel. So uh, that's my take. And that's going to do it for our conversation about Secret Wars. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, there was so much to talk about. So normally our book clubs are a little shorter. But we hope you guys enjoyed this extended edition. Uh, because we got it all out. And... I, for one, am really happy with uh, the fact that we read this and we made it through on the other side. So let us know what you think about... (laughs) 49. Uh, Fuck. Let us know what you think about Secret Wars. Let us know what you think about Jonathan Hickman um, and some of the things that were at play here. Um, There are plenty of ways you can get us. We are the Comics Pals. We have a weekly podcast that we put out. So if you enjoyed this conversation, you can expect more things like this on our weekly show, uh, which posts every Monday. So you're going to want to check that out. You can find us on social media at the Comics Pals. If you're listening to this on a podcast hosting platform, but you want to switch over, we're on almost all of them. So just check us out wherever you're interested in hearing us. And you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com if you want to interact with us about this or anything else we've talked about at any point uh as far as other book clubs we've done boy it's a doozy list at this point uh we've done as some reference here silver surfer requiem all-star superman infinity war or i'm sorry infinity um and uh plenty of others there's a whole host of them so you can go check those out and with that we're the comics pal signing off take care guys see you next time All hail God Emperor Doom.